0: Let's bow again. Father, thank you so much for this morning again. Thank you for the privilege we have to praise you, to worship you, and to hear your word. And I pray as we come into your word now that you would help me to share it exactly as you desire, that your word would be divided rightly, and that you would be the one that does that through me that all of us would respond in a way that you desire, so that you'd be greatly glorified. We ask you to bless this, bless your word as it goes out, in Jesus' name. Well, you've probably heard that old saying, uh, sow a thought, reap an action. Uh, sow an action, reap a habit. Uh, sow a habit, reap a life. In the book of Proverbs, speaking of the rich man uh, who has uh, his own, uh, seeing his riches as his uh, life in a sense, the uh, writer says, as he thinks in his heart, so he is. You know, the way we think really is who we are, and uh, before we came to Christ, we just thought about the things of us and the things of our lives and the things of the world, whatever it was. That's what we thought about. And when we came to Christ, our hearts were changed. And we began, because of God's Word, to think about the things of God. And we, we, des- we desire to follow the Lord. If you're a true believer, you want to follow the Lord. You don't want to go out and live a worldly lifestyle. You don't want to live uh, and set your mind on the things below. You don't want to do that. You want to follow Christ. And yet, as we follow Christ, there are threats to our faith in Christ. Uh, we've seen in the book of Colossians that there were bad guys uh, who were attempting to delude the Colossians with persuasive arguments, to pull them away from the sufficiency of Christ, to actually have worldly thoughts in a religious manner, in a sense. And uh, in that, we need to be careful because we can, as we follow Christ, start to think we're following him, thinking about things the way we used to think about things. And so the question I have for you today is what should we be thinking about? Let's turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. And we're in the middle of our study of Colossians. And we're going to see that we should have a focus on Christ. We should have a focus on Christ. Now the Apostle Paul has never personally visited the Colossians, but he has heard from Epaphras, their spiritual father, who has traveled some 1,600 miles. He's heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love for the saints, the hope that they have in heaven through the gospel. And he has also heard of the threats, as I've just mentioned, to their faith. That there were those trying to delude them with persuasive arguments. There were those trying to kidnap them spiritually, uh, religiously speaking, that they thought uh, these way these people and the things they were bringing would help them with their battle with the flesh. But it's of no value against fleshly indulgence. We saw uh, that the Apostle Paul, to combat this evil and this uh, threat to the faith of the Colossians and those in that Lycos River Valley, to combat that threat, he shares a focus on the person of Jesus Christ. Christ is the solution. Christ is the solution to threats to our faith. Christ is the solution. You see, every threat to our faith pulls us so subtly off of Christ, even in His name, pulls us off of Christ. And Christ is the solution. And within that, uh, He began to share Uh, that we should, having been founded, uh, in Christ and loving one another, faith in Christ, that, uh, He prayed that we would be filled with the knowledge of His will. That we would be controlled with the knowledge of His desire for us. And then He began to give us a picture of who Christ really is. A reminder, because we know these things, but we need a reminder. We need to think of these things. Today we're gonna see, we're gonna think of the things above and all of what we've seen of the things above, by the way. That Christ is the creator, that through him and by him all things were created. Chapter 1. And that he is the head of the new creation, uh, the church. And it's through his shed blood that we have forgiveness of sins. And we are going to be presented holy and blameless. He's the supreme Lord of his first creation and the supreme Lord of his new creation. He's the supreme Lord of everything, by the way. He's Lord of all. And in this focus on the person of Christ... We see he being fully God and fully man died to reconcile us, as I mentioned before, in order to present us holy and blameless uh, beyond reproach. And now having given us a picture of the person of Christ, the Apostle Paul begins to share his ministry, the Lord's ministry, through him, which is in contrast to the bad guy's ministry. And we saw in chapter 1 that authentic ministry has God's men ministering. And we saw that authentic ministry preaches God's message, Christ proclaimed from the word, fully proclaimed. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we see that authentic ministry uses God's method, Christ proclaimed uh, with the goal, completeness in Christ, presenting every man complete in Christ Jesus. That in chapter 2, as I've mentioned it already, there were those attempting to delude these Colossians with persuasive arguments. They were being tempted to be kidnapped spiritually, taken away, dragged away. And we saw that these persuasive arguments were in contrast to the reality of who we really are. That as we have received Christ, we should so walk in Him. And we saw the Apostle Paul share the truth concerning the person of Christ that He is God in human flesh, and that in Him we are complete, and that He has complete victory over our demonic foes. And that in this, we have a complete salvation in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we shouldn't let these bad guys bamboozle us. As we saw, there were three ways that our faith could get shipwrecked. We saw, first of all, we're not to be dependent on religious shadows. We're not to let anyone judge us and put pressure on us to follow the shadows. We also saw that we are not to delight in religious experience because when we do, we're effectively cut off from growing in Christ. We think we're growing, but we're not growing at all. Experience doesn't grow us. It is God through his word by his spirit that grows us. And that may be an experience in itself there, but that's not the experience that grows us, okay? And then we saw that we're not to submit to religious decrees, that do not touch, that do not taste, that do not handle uh, these decrees of of putting your body down to keep yourself holy, things that sound wise and and, and seem to be religious, but they're really a man-made religion. They're still the basics of the world, how the world functions. You see, the world just functions apart from Christ. That's really how it functions apart from Christ, and we are not to function that way. And so we come to our passage today, which is a continuation of what we've been saying. So turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, and we're looking at verses 1 to 4, and this is a wonderful passage. He says, If then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with God in Christ. When Christ, who is our life, is is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Tremendous passage. Now this passage is sandwiched within this idea of fleshly indulgence. Back in chapter 2, these things are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Those religious things the false guys are trying to bring to you. They're of no value. They're of no value. And then we have this statement concerning who we are in Christ and where our minds are to be. And then right after this we have that we should be dead to those things. Consider yourself dead to those, those, those uh, fleshly indulgences in a sense. It's really in that context. And so this is really putting a practical application on everything he's taught already. This is really the, the practical workings of how not to get caught up in your flesh. It's really the practical workings of that. And so then, notice we have this command, first of all. If then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Keep seeking things above. Now, this is a command. The, the command is keep seeking the things above with a, with a qualifier, if then you've been raised up with Christ. And it speaks of a continual habitual action. Continually habitually seek the things above. Seek them. If you're seeking something, you're looking for it. You're paying attention to it. If I'm looking for my dog, I'm seeking him out. Where is he? I'm looking for him. I'm seeking it. I'm seeking the things here, the things above. And it is a command. And notice grammatically it's strengthened by verse 2. Set your mind on the things above, not the things that are on earth. It's strengthened with that. So notice we have this command: keep seeking the things above. That's really the basis of our passage today. But yet, notice there is a uh, there, excuse me there is a basis for our passage. Notice what it is: the basis for this command here, verse one. If then you have been raised up with Christ Jesus, keep seeking the things above. Now this is a Greek clause, and there's different uh, Greek uh, phrases here, different Greek conditions. And here it's in a first-class condition. What does that mean? It means it is assumed to be true. If you've been raised with Christ, and yes, you have, the way the grammar is there, that's what it says. You're a Greek here. You'd hear that. You'd hear that in a sense. Then keep seeking the things above. He's saying to these Colossians who are believers, if you've been raised up with Christ, if this is about what's happened to you, then uh, do this. Now, we saw earlier in chapter 2, verse 20, a similar statement, but uh, in a different uh, portion. Look at chapter 2, verse 20. If you have died with Christ, if you've died with Christ, our passage says, if you've been raised with him. Remember uh, what we saw, when, it, when it, what it means to die with Christ, have died with him, and to be raised with him is not, not what we saw earlier In verses 11 and 12, it says, And in him, chapter 2, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, the the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. He changed your heart, right? Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. You see, through faith, we were placed into union with Jesus Christ, and thus his death to sin on the cross and his resurrection unto life. And this happened when we believed the Holy Spirit placed us into the body of Christ. We were baptized, placed into, identified with, 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, And Galatians chapter 3, 27. For we were all baptized into Christ Jesus, all baptism through faith through faith. When you believed in Jesus Christ for the salvation of your sins, the Spirit of God places you in union with Christ. His death to sin and resurrection to life now apply to you in the context of complete forgiveness. His work applies to us. And this is really the case that Paul is making in the book of Romans. It's really the case he's making in chapter 6. Let's turn to Romans chapter 6. So you can't be raised with Christ if you haven't died with him. Right, you're united to everything, and there's death to sin. We saw a lot of that in chapter two, right? How it applies, but now because you're dead to sin, you're raised in newness of life. You're in Christ. You can seek Him. You can go to Him, right? we'll see, see the 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 the, the, the two things here. Romans chapter six. What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace might increase? May it never be. He just made the point that as sin increased, grace increased. Because God's grace covers sin. But he says, hey, don't misunderstand that. Uh, may you never think that you can sin it up for more grace. May that never be the way you think. He says, how shall we who died to sin still live it? You have died to sin. He's going to explain it. Or do you not know or are you ignorant of the fact that all of us who have been baptized are placed into Christ Jesus through faith In Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? You've been united to his death. It's applied to you. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. That's our verses. Verses 3, 1 through 4 is walking in newness of life. That's really what it's about. The other chapter is about saying no to sin because we're dead to sin. Saying no, why? If you're dead to it, why do, you, why do you do it? You are dead to it in Christ, but yet you are alive to God. And so he says here, For if we have, verse 5, Romans 6, become united in, with him in the likeness of his death, certainly... We shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was, and you could see this in the Greek, co-crucified with him, and that our body of sin might be done away. We still have this body of sin who will set me free. Paul talks about the body of sin in chapter 7. It's Jesus that sets us free, right? In our union with him. And then we're going to be glorified. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death is no longer master over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dead to sin, the end of chapter 2, alive to God in Christ Jesus, chapter 3 and then dead to sin after he goes after that, our portion. So we're going to see. You see, we are dead to the power of our old life because of our union with Christ. Now, we can yield up when 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 we, practically speaking, separate from him and just go our own way and do our own things, but God will spank us, he'll convict us. When we're abiding in Christ, we're dead to sin. But we're also alive to him. And the life we live should be... Different. And it all happens in the mind. That's where it happens. It should be different. Paul would say in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. He doesn't say, oh, oh. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. Isn't that glorious? And the life which I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. It's all this, everything we're going to read is by faith. It's through faith, it's not through experience, it's through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in the Son of God. We are new creations in Christ. We have this little sentimental thing, we want to look at who we used to be and we like some of the things that's in our life from before. We have a little sentimental stuff, but listen to what Paul says. Second Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that they sh- who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. That's going to be helpful. We wonder, what does it mean to seek the things above? What does that mean? It's helpful here, right? Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh. Yet... Now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Are you a new creation in Christ? Have you died to your old life and been raised in newness of life? If that's the case, then this passage applies to you. If that's the case, if you're a believer, then this applies to us. If you have died with Christ, if that's the thing, and then if you have been raised with Him, keep seeking the things above. Keep seeking the things above. Now we're all commanded to do this. And you say, Yes, I desire to do it. I desire to do it. I'm here in this passage. I want to do it. But how do we do it? And that leads to the question what are the things above? What am I seeking? Am I seeking pearly gates? Am I seeking gold streets? Am I seeking uh, angel clouds? What am I seeking? What am I seeking? What things am I seeking? Notice what he says here, and this helps us clarify what it means. Because the bad guys could make you think you're seeking the things above when you're actually seeking the things of the earth. Right? That's what they're doing. And that's really what this is heading off, by the way. If then you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Notice this, very important. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's where the things above are. Obviously, they're the heavenly things of Christ. They're the exalted things of Christ. He says, where Christ is, here's a location. That's the location where we seek it. Seated at the right hand of God. You see, these are the heavenly realities, the kingdom realities, the kingdom values, the kingdom truths centered around the king, Jesus Christ. They are the things of Christ. And folks, by the way, we're not of this world. We're not of this world. We see in Galatians 1.4 that he, Christ gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us out of this present evil age. We see in Ephesians 1 3 that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's our Christ is, by the way, heavenly place, right? We know that we are aliens and sojourners on this earth. First Peter one, 1 and two eleven. What about Abraham? Abraham, he 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 lived on this earth. He had cattle. He had uh, situations with his uh you know, relatives. All this stuff, you know. But he was seeking something different. He understood he was looking for a different country. Take a look at Hebrews chapter eleven. Hebrews chapter eleven. Hebrews eleven verse thirteen, and this is in the context of those uh, testified of by God who fought the good fight of faith and endured to the end. God is testifying of them. This is that great cloud of testifiers. This is some of them right here. Hebrews 11:13. And all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear they're seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they have been Thinking of the country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Seeking a better country. Seeking a better place. Hey, we're here. I'm not, I'm not somewhere else. I'm here. But we're going to see how we are to live in this world. And do the things of the everyday realities of our of being human and in this world, but not be of this world. That's not a Bible verse. I mean, in, in the world but not of it. But it's a it's a principle we see. You see, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship, Philippians three twenty, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are just passing through. We got to remember this. Got to remember this. Don't get too, you know, yes, you're gonna get, yes, you're gonna be married, you're gonna have, ask these different things, whatever it might be of jobs, you know, but we're still just passing through. All those things need to be seen through eternal lenses rather than worldly lenses, as we'll say. And that's the difference. We're commanded to be preoccupied with seeking Christ and His invisible kingdom realities. Look what Jesus says, Matthew 6:31. Do not be anxious, then. Jesus says, "What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? With what shall we clothe ourselves?" For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. Hey, they seek the stuff, the, the food and shelter, and everything. You know, that's, that's what they seek. He says here, "For your heavenly Father." Now, this is, this is being setting your mind on things but your heavenly Father knows. You go okay. I'm. We're going to redo my mind. He knows. He says he knows uh, that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Little later. A little later. A little earlier. Matthew 16. Not 16. Matthew 6, verse 17. Uh, Jesus says, But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you may not be seen fasting by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will repay you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. you got to think that. You've got to think through that. Uh, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is there will your heart be also what you treasure. If you're seeking the things below and you're treasuring that, then you're not going to be treasuring the things above. Now we can commit the things below to the Lord and see them differently, can't we? That's what we're going to say. We could see them much differently. Because the bad guys will come and say, well, you need to separate from that. You need to go to the monastery and stay away from everything. You need to treat yourself badly. You need to do this and this. No, that's not what you need to do. You need to seek the things of Christ will say. You just set your mind on the things above, as we'll see. And then notice he says, where Christ is, and he gives a description, which is really important, because you need to remember who our God is. We need to remember how powerful He is. We're seeking seeking the the exalted one. He says, seated back in our passage, the He's raised with Christ. See the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, what does this term seated at the right hand mean? And why does Paul share it here? Well, in ancient times, to sit at someone's right hand spoke of a place of honor, and yet to sit at the right hand of a king was more than just honor. It was an invitation to reign with him, to share his rule like a son ruling with his father. God the Son was at the right hand of the Father, and God the Son left his place of authority and position and took on human flesh, and God the Son, after dying for our sins, The Messiah the Christ died for sins, he was invited back, as we'll see, to sit back at his right hand. He was invited back. After doing the work of salvation, he was invited back to his rightful place. We see that in Acts chapter 2. Paul makes this, Peter makes this clear on the day of Pentecost. Turn to Acts 2. We'll start at verse 22. Acts 2, 22. Men of Israel listened to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered up by a predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Verse 24, Acts 224. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. Now, you can read the portion in between. It's important, but for time's sake, let's go down to verse 32. Speaking of the resurrection, this Jesus God raised up again, to which were all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was David who ascended, not David, who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain, God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Invited back to the right hand, to his place of authority and power. Authority and power. Jesus uh, shared to uh, the bad guys, the, the high priest, of his trial. Matthew 26, Jesus kept son, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, 26 verse 63, you tell us whether you are the Christ or Son of God. I always want to say it, that little voice from those cartoons. Tell us who you are. You know, the, the, the bad guys, right? And he says here Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. The right hand of power. You see, when you see this. This phrase right hand here, it's speaking of power, authority, and deity. We have a powerful God who is in control of everything. You seek the God who is in control of everything. And not some stupid stuff to keep you from sinning. Seek Jesus, the all-powerful God. Seek him instead. Moses sings of the right hand, destroying his enemies. Exodus 15, 6, Thy right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. David writes to the right hand, Psalm 16, 11, That will make me know the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 17, 7, Wondrously show thy loving kindness, O Savior of those who take refuge at thy right hand. Psalm 18, 35, Thou hast made me, Thou hast also given me a shield of thy salvation and thy thy right hand upholds me and thy gentleness makes me great like that. Psalm 20 verse 6, Now I know the Lord saves his anointed and he will answer from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father and he is there after having accomplished the work of redemption on our behalf. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, And he is the radiance and glory of the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He upholds everything with his power, the word of his power. After he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand. Hebrews ten nine. Then he said, Behold, I've come to do thy will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second by this will that's Jesus coming by the way we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all Jesus Christ once for all and every priest stands ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins Hebrews 10:12 but he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time sat down at the right hand of God the work is done Seek the things above where Christ is, at the right right hand, right? seated at the right hand of God. He's speaking of the exalted, all-powerful Lord Jesus Christ who accomplished our salvation. That's whom we need to be going to. When you've got a problem, you need to go to him. We need to continually seek him as we're going to see. Don't seek the stuff. Don't seek the fake people giving you fake stuff. Seek the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, who we set our minds on continually eventually does kind of reveal who we are. Romans chapter 8, verse 5, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. You want life and peace? You've got to be in Jesus. Set your mind on Him. You're going to have peace, by the way. you experience His life. Keep seeking the things above. The things of the exalted, all powerful Jesus who has accomplished our salvation. See this world and its trials and temptations from his perspective. From his perspective. Yes, you gotta go to work, but do your work harder than the Lord. Yes, you you, you 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 know you're we're on this this earth and we have relationships, but they need to be guided by what God says about those relationships. Whatever it is, God's word needs to be the focus in God Himself. You see, remember, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. He is God in human flesh, and in him we're complete. And in him we have a complete salvation and complete victory over Satan and his minions. Set your mind on it. Set your mind on it. I venture to say when we're struggling, we're not setting our mind on the fact that we're complete in him. I venture to say that when we're struggling at times, now he's a gracious God, go to him, he'll help you. But I venture to say we we get sidetracked, our focus gets off. So how do we do this? How do we keep our minds focused on the Lord Jesus above? How do we do it? Well, let's take a look at our passage again. If then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Then notice the second command here, verse 2. Set your mind on the things above, not the things of earth. Here we go. We need to make a decision. Make a decision. Make a decision to do something here. And here it is, to set your mind on the things above. Set your mind, the Greek term is phronia, which means to think. It's imperative command, so think about the things above. Think about that. Make a conscious decision to focus on the exalted, all-powerful Christ who accomplished your salvation. Make a conscious decision to get your mind back on Jesus. We're to be fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. But, right? We see that. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So how do we seek the things of Christ? We need to set our mind on them. And notice he says in contrast, and we'll see a minute more specifically, in contrast, not the things that are on the earth. So how I do it is got to not look at something to look at something else. I don't want to be like this. <laughs> you know, and looking at one thing here and here, right? No, I want to be setting my mind on one thing here. So in contrast, first of all, what are the things of earth? What are the things of earth? They are the visible realities, temporal, earthly things, the things of the world, the things of man, as we've seen already. Even religious things. My desire, my needs, my will, my flesh, my exaltation, man's interests. Remember, we saw these things earlier we saw the things of the world earlier they were packaged religiously but we saw them earlier Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 see to that no one takes you captive through philosophy that's a thing of earth through empty deception according to the tradition of men that's a thing of earth according to the elementary principles of the world that's a thing of earth how the world functions we saw in colossians 2 16 that uh we're not to focus on the worldly shadows, but the spiritual reality. Right? We're not to be defrauded of our prize by experience. We're to be growing in Christ. We're not to be submitting to decrees, these worldly decrees, in accordance with the, accordance with the teachings of men. To be sure, have the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion, self-abasement, spirit of the body. Those are the things of earth. That's certainly things of earth. And we certainly know what the things of earth are based on who we used to be before we were saved. It's just, it's just everything absent Christ. It's everything absent Christ. It's living a life separated from Christ. It's thinking through things apart from involving our Savior and His will and desire as revealed in His Word. Yes, we're, on, we're in this world, but he tells us how to function as those who are out of this world. You see? Listen to this tearful warning in Philippians chapter 3. This is, these are those who kind of made a, made a profession but didn't really have it. Philippians 3.17, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you and now tell you, even weeping, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. the enemy of the cross of Christ. That's not good. That's kind of bad. Whose end is destruction. I don't think they're saved. Whose God is their appetite. Whose glory is in their shame. You see that? Go watch YouTube. There you go, right? Glory and shame. That's what you see. Who set their mind on earthly things. Now, some might say you're too heavenly-minded and no earthly good. Well, if you're truly heavenly-minded, you're going to be absolutely earthly good because God gives us His understanding through Christ on how we function in this world, on how we are to think in relationship to marriage, in relationship to the world, in relationship to a sudden onslaught of fear, in the relationship to our jobs, in relationship to uh, every situation. God tells us how we're to function. We saw it earlier, the mindset on the flesh is death. And this is helpful in Romans 8 because he says the mindset on the spirit is life. So here's the two things. If I'm setting my mind on the things above, it's in the spiritual sphere. It's not in the flesh. It's not in the things of mankind. and It's in the things of God through His Spirit. We'll see which come to the Word. Remember what uh, happened to uh, Peter when he was trying to be a good guy and stop Jesus from getting hurt, right? Do you remember that? Matthew 6:21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised from the third day. God was sharing his will and what would happen That's what God is, and then Peter went against that through his own fleshly desire. And it even seemed like a good desire in the moment, right? Well, it really wasn't, because the Lord Jesus is going to die for our sins. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. You see, we need to look at this life from God's interests, not man's. What is God's interest for how I treat my wife? What is God's interest for how I deal with trials? What is God's interest for how I serve Him? What is God's interest for how the church functions? What is God's interest for how I live and and work in this world? What is God's interest for how I interact with non-believers? What is God's interest versus my interest? There's a battle there, right? But we need to see things from an eternal perspective. Slice of vapor, we need to see them from God's interests. And where do we find God's interest? In His Word. Second Corinthians 4.16, therefore we don't lose heart. Paul's talking about we're almost dying all the time, serving Jesus, but we don't lose heart. I don't, it doesn't discourage him. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing in for us an eternal weight of glory all beyond all comparison. That's God's tr- truth there. For while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We don't scope out the things that are seen. We don't set our hearts and minds. We set our minds on the things above. It doesn't mean that we're driving along and we can't steer the car because we're thinking of things above. It doesn't mean we don't you know, eat food because that's not from above. It's seeing everything from God's perspective. It's seeing him rightly and focusing on him. Remember what Paul said in contrast in uh, Romans 8:5? He says read this again here, "For those who are according to the flesh, set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. what are the things of the spirit?" Well, Paul said, hey, we don't come with man's wisdom preaching the word of God to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 2. He said, we basically come preaching God's word, and it's spiritual wisdom. He says in 1 Corinthians 2.12, now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. That's the word of God, and we might know it as a spirit, which things we also speak. The reality is, if you want to seek the things above, you've got to seek it through the Word of God. You've got to seek it through the truth of God, by the Spirit of God. You see that? The blessed man, uh, Psalm 1, he meditates in the Word day and night. Meditates on it day and night. He doesn't uh, uh, allow the world to control his heart and thoughts, but God's Word. We need to make a decision to renew our minds. We'll see it later on in chapter 3, the renewal. We've got to renew our minds. And we'll see it in Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but transformed through the renewing of your mind. Be transformed in how you think of your job. Be transformed in how you think of other people. Be transformed in how you think of people who are angry at you. Be transformed in how you think of your spouse. Be transformed in how you raise your children. Be transformed. Transformed. So then, we're going to see that Christ is our very life. Since he's our life, that's who we should be focusing on. Set your mind on the things above, not the things of earth. You can see it this way a lot of what we saw in chapter 2. Don't let anyone dissuade you with persuasive arguments. Rather, because of your union with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Don't let anyone take you spiritually captive, but rather, because of your union with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Rather than focusing on the shadows, food, drink, respect to New Moon Festival, Sabbath day, keep seeking the things above. Rather than focusing on religious experience, delighting yourself in self abasing worship of angels, those things inflated with your fleshly mind, keep seeking the things above. Rather than submitting to religious decrees like do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, keep seeking the things above. Above. Set your mind to things above. So I ask you, where does your mind dwell? Our mind is tempted to go away really quickly when things happen. We need to practice and train our hearts to keep turning back and focusing on Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus. If you've ever seen a dog chase a cat, they are focused on it, they don't turn away. Focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. And it doesn't mean that you'll be off in some heavenly sphere where you, you uh, hey, hey, Greg, 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 hey, hey, hey. No, it doesn't mean that. It means as we walk in this earth, we're going to see things from his perspective. And we allow his word, as we're going to see later on, chapter three, dwell richly in us. Dwell richly in us. Now notice here, we have a final portion in our passage, which is a portion that should motivate us to do this. It's a motivation to do this. Look at verse 3, 4. four. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. You know, we're to keep seeking the things above because of who we are in Christ now and our future glory. He says, for, that signifies an explanation why we are to set our mind on the things above and not the things of earth. Here's why. For, or because. You've died. It happened. Airs tense. You've died. Your old man is dead. You're dead in that sense, but you've been raised in newness of life. Marvelous truth. You've died, and he continues, and your life, our new life, is hidden with Christ in God. That's an amazing statement. We've got to think about these things. We're not thinking about this enough. We really aren't. We've got to think about it. Amazing statement. The term hidden speaks of being concealed or hidden and kept safe. It's in a perfect tense in Greek, which means we were hidden in the past and it was done deal, and it still applies to us right now. We continue to be hidden with Christ in God. What does this mean? Well, I think it reflects our union with Christ, certainly, Romans chapter 6, as I've read. But it also, our new life is concealed or it's hidden in respect that unbelievers cannot see it, they cannot grasp it, they cannot see the life you have in Christ. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness. He cannot understand it because they're spiritually appraised, 1 Corinthians 2.14. And lastly, I think it speaks of protection, concealed, hidden, being kept safe. You're safe in Jesus. You're safe in him. You see, because we're in Christ, and Christ is fully and eternally pleasing and acceptable to the Father, no one can snatch us out of his hand. Our life is hidden in Christ. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. After talking about uh, how God works all things together for good to those who love and those who according to his, to his purpose, that those who sanctified or those who glor, or justified, sanctified, glorified, it's coming. And he says in Romans 8.31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? i got to think this way. When we've got enemies coming against us, people saying things, you're, you're, you can get distracted and get, lose focus, set your mind on things above. If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all thanks? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes. Rather, who was raised, who is at the right right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, just as it is written, For thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principies, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Get your eyes fixed on Jesus and then believe it. Believe the truth of God. Believe the truth of God. Because of our relationship with Christ, we can never be taken away from him. We're safe in him. You've died since power is broken, and your life is concealed in Jesus. Safe. Then notice what he says here. That's what's now. You're safe in him. You're concealed in him. Your life is, consists of being in Christ, right? He says, when Christ, verse 4, who is our life. Now, translators added the words who is here, not added it, but they, they put it there to help us understand translation from Greek. Literally, it's when Christ, our life. When Christ, our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. You see, true life is summed up in a real relationship with the Lord. A real relationship. Jesus said in John 17, 3, This is eternal life, that they might know thee, the one only true God, and your Son whom thou hast sent. It's a relationship with the living God. We understand relationships within one another. We have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus. Paul summed up his life in Christ. He said, To live is Christ, to die is gain. He said, the life I live, Galatians 2.20, I live by faith. It's by faith, brothers and sisters. It's not by experience. It's by faith, believing in Jesus and trusting in His Word, focusing on Him. It's by faith. You see, we are hidden in Christ and He is our life. He's our life. If you've been raised with Christ, Christ is your life. Set your mind on the things above, or Christ is. Are you living a life by faith in the Son of God? If not, you're not going to be able to set your mind on the things above. It's not going to happen. Christ is our life. But notice, when Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. This keeps us our focus on the Lord. It motivates us. He's our life, and we're going to be real revealed with him. We're concealed in him, but, but, but no one sees it. No one knows it. When Christ is revealed. Now, I'll just briefly share this. This is speaking of his coming in glory. That's what it's speaking of. And I'll briefly share a, a, an overview of the end times events to get us to this point. We know that the next thing on God's prophetic clock for us is what we call the rapture. It's where we're forcibly grabbed it is where the bodies that are in the graves are resurrected and the spirits that have died come with Jesus and they're glorified and those who are alive and remain are changed and we're caught up in the air together to be with the Lord forever. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4:13 through 18, John 14, 1 through 3. It's where Jesus takes his bride to the place he's prepared for her. right? And I believe in this time during heaven, during this time, the church will be judged for her works, the bema seat, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 3. I also believe we, his holy ones, will be there and we will experience the marriage of the Lamb at that point. Not the marriage supper, that's coming later because the guests haven't, aren't there yet. The marriage of the Lamb during that time, Revelation nineteen seven 7 through 9. What a glorious time in heaven we will experience with Christ, but the events on earth will be different. For a period of seven years, Daniel's 70th week, Daniel 9, 21 to 27, the earth will experience tribulation such that has never seen before. And then Christ will come at the end of this tribulation. The seven-year tribulation uh, will begin with a covenant made with Israel and the Antichrist. The midpoint, this Antichrist, Satan having been cast out of heaven for good, pursues Israel, Romans, Revelation 12, 13, and gives his Antichrist the authority uh, all his authority and power revelation thirteen he 'll declare himself to be god daniel nine twenty seven second thessalonians two one through four and then matthew twenty four fifteen and then, as God brings forth his distress it 's the, the the day of jacob 's trouble time of jacob 's distress two thirds will be killed of israel, one will remain. At the end of the tribulation, Christ will come, at seven years, personally with his holy ones, that's the saints, that's the church, plant his feet on the Mount of Olives, the Battle of Armageddon. He will destroy his enemies and save all Israel. Ezekiel 34, 36-39, Jeremiah 30, Joel 3, Zechariah 12, 14, Romans 11, and Revelation 19. This is what our passage is speaking of. When he comes in glory, we're going to be with him. We're going to be with him. Revelation one seven. Behold, he is coming in the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, Amen. Turn to Revelation. Excuse me, Matthew chapter twenty four. As we finish up, Matthew twenty four twenty nine. Matthew twenty four twenty nine, and it says, But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then the sign, of the, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Great glory. You see, we're going to be revealed with Him. Zechariah 14.5, The Lord my God will come with all His holy ones with Him. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. This ought to motivate us to seek the things above. To seek the things above. This glorious truth ought to draw our hearts heavenward, which means we've got to get in the word. have got to renew our minds. Our future is not of this world, and our life right now is hidden in Christ. will be revealed with Him in glory. If you're a non-believer, you need to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ to deliver you from the wrath to come. If you're a believer, this truth should drive our thoughts heavenward, looking for our Savior, eagerly awaiting for Him, and then our revelation with Him in glory. So then, what should we be thinking about? If then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, not the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So how do we do so? Set your mind on the things above, not the things of earth. Let who you are in Christ now and your future glory motivate you to keep seeking the things above. Well, there's some of you here today that never truly had a truly heavenward thought. You don't know Christ. And God is a gracious God. You need salvation. And he sent his son Jesus to die for your sins. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. And you'll go from death to life. And you'll be able to then have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And for us, we need to continually set our mind on the things but We need to do so by meditating on His Word, allowing it to control our hearts, letting it dwell richly. Every area, whether it's church, applying God's Word to that, whether it's a conversation, whether it's an interaction, whether it's our work, applying it, and when we fail applying God's Word, confessing, knowing He forgives us, right? Applying His Word and keeping our focus on our exalted, powerful Lord Jesus Christ. focus on Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word, and I pray that we would keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Lord, we we do so, but we fail so often, and it is so weak at times, our seeking. Lord, may we fix our eyes upon Jesus. May we uh, live this life by faith in Your Son. May may we truly be able to say Christ is our life because he is. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done through your son, Jesus, and I pray that you would continue to use your word to motivate us to set our hearts on the things above the things of earth. In Jesus' name, amen.